Welcome to the June edition of the Flight Test Safety Podcast. Summer is in full swing here in the Northern Hemisphere, so during the day, remember to stay hydrated, use sunscreen, and of course, wear your sunglasses. Sometimes I even wear my sunglasses at night, you know, so I can keep track of visions in my eyes. Now let's start off with a look back in aviation history to 16 June 1963, when cosmonaut Valentina Vladimirovna Tereshkova was launched aboard Vostok 6 from the Baikonur Cosmodrome, becoming the first human female in space. Next, we'll go to 22 June 1962, when the last of 744 Boeing B-52 Stratofortress strategic bombers was rolled out of the Boeing Military Airplane Company plant in Wichita, Kansas. Now, the first flight of YB-52 took place 10 years earlier in 1952. Of those 744 aircraft built, 76 B-52s are still operational today, and the bomber is expected to remain in service until the 2040s. Yes, if you're keeping up with the math, that is a pretty long time. So our focus topic for this month, we have something a little different. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of speaking to a group from the Columbia Aviation Association, and I got to learn a little bit more about their organization and one of the ways they approach flight safety. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, with me today on our episode of the Flight Test Safety Podcast, I have Mr. Steve Bush and Mr. Stan Swan of the Columbia Aviation Association. Gentlemen, thank you for taking time out of your schedules to be on our podcast. And I would like to start off with each of you just giving a little bit of an introduction and some of your background, maybe specifically your aviation background. And Steve, if we could start with you. Okay, um, I'm a uh, captain for Horizon Air. A uh, technical pilot, I do Horizon Air's the majority of their flight test work, both experimental and maintenance related. And uh, I'm also a um, flight test DER and do contract flight test work on the side. And uh, for Horizon, I fly the uh, Dash 8 400 aircraft. Okay, and before that, what was your, uh, how did you come into the aviation field? I started actually as a mechanic, and uh, an ANP mechanic, and then uh, went to the state of Alaska and flew uh, out in the bush. Uh, part 135, I flew um, floats, wheels, and skis all over the state of Alaska before I came to Horizon Air. Okay, great, thanks. And Stan, how about you? I started flying back in the 70s, got my private license in 73, and then uh, flew a whole bunch um, using GI Bill. I'd just gotten out of the Army at that point. I am a CFII and also chief flight instructor at a uh, fixed base operation here at Aurora. Started flying, I say, back in the 70s, and then I had a big chunk where I didn't fly. You know, children in airplanes tend to be mutually exclusive <laughs> unless you have a job. <clears throat> but when I uh, got ready to retire, I needed. I knew I needed to keep myself busy, so I reactivated my uh, my CFI and started uh, started teaching. It's been a whole bunch of fun. It's uh, it's very satisfying to take somebody from, who's never flown an airplane before and get them up to the point where they're where they're getting their private pilot's license, and then really want to go on and do some incident and maybe commercial and so on and so forth. 
Okay, great. So I had the pleasure to speak with your group, the Columbia Aviation Association, uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, Steve, tell us a little bit about what the CAA is. Yeah, the CAA, the Columbia Aviation Association, is a unique uh, little club here in uh, Aurora, Oregon, just south of Portland. And uh, originally it started as the Columbia Aviation and Country Club uh, in 1949 and located at uh, Portland International Airport. It was uh, begun by a gentleman named uh, Doc White. In, he and, and some local businessmen who were aviation enthusiasts formed this uh, club, this association. <clears throat> and uh, it's uh, continued all these years. It's moved from Portland uh, International to Aurora. We have a nice little clubhouse that the club owns right on, on the uh, airport next to the runway. And it's still um, comprised of, of local business uh, folks, businessmen, businesswomen, uh, many of them are doctors, lawyers, professional pilots. Many uh, of our members are former uh, military pilots, both um, retired military pilots of all flavors. The um, membership uh, encompasses quite a few women these days, and uh, it uh, stems from professional pilots to student pilots, uh, aspiring pilots, and um, quite a unique little organization. Great. So the, the event or the, the reason that you asked me to come speak to the group was for something called Flight Profile. And Stan, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what that is. Certainly. I can tell you a whole bunch about what that is. This is one of the, uh, the unique things that we do. This process, uh, this, this profile started back in 1968, and it was in answer to a, a couple of um, fellows that were members. One of them was a, a CFI, and the other one just understood what was going on. Back in those days, uh, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, uh, pilots would almost just put their airplane away for four or five months. You know, it's rainy, foggy, nasty. Right. And then they would come out. They would come back out and start flying. And um, the people that started flight profile realized that they probably need to have a tune-up there. So they started this program. Initially, it was a competition, but it is um, typically we do this in April or May, and it is we meet every Thursday um, here at the clubhouse, and we take three Thursday meetings, and we call them uh, ground school. I think back in the old days, they really got into ground school. They were navigating and doing so on and so forth, things like that. Nowadays, what we try to really focus on is safety. <clears throat> and Art, your presentation to us was exactly what we're looking for. This is the, these are the kind of things that we try to get uh, pilots to think about. We used to fly on Friday and Saturday uh, after the, uh, the third ground school night. Participation has dropped to the point where uh, we only now fly just on Saturday. We have CFIs who are members of the club occasionally will bring in somebody that's not a member, and they provide their services uh, free of charge. Somebody, uh, our pilots will come in with their airplane, and we'll have a, a conversation with them, and then we'll go fly for an hour. The things that we accomplish during flying are kind of based upon what the pilot wants to do. You know, if they know they're a little rusty, go out and do landings or maneuvers and so on and so forth. If they're an IFR pilot, 
uh, we'll get the hood on and uh, do a little uh, do a little instrument work. One of the things that, that we're really proud of with this whole program is that uh, at one of the really really early meetings, a regional FAA director uh, attended, uh, and he said, "This is just a great idea. We need to get other people to do this." And they they tried to get AOPA to do it. They tried to get other FAA regions uh, to do something on this line. And then finally, four years after we started, no, six years after we started in 1974, the FAA said, this is such a good idea, we're going to require it now. And if you want to blame somebody for the, the uh, inception of the flight review, uh, you can hang it around our neck. <laughs> um, those are only for people that get upset about that. Most people should understand that it's a, a safety-related issue. One of the challenges that we have <clears throat> quite often, I will ask somebody if they're going to participate this year, and they say, no, I already have a BFR. I don't need one. And the argument that I use against them is, is that, or against them trying to convince them to come and participate with us, is that, hey, how often do airline pilots have to get recurrent training? Um, how often do military pilots have to get recurrent training? And, of course, you get the answer on that one. It's six months to a year. And then I asked the question, probably maybe not all that friendly, I said, what makes you think you're better than those guys who have great equipment and, and great skills that they use all the time that you only have to do this every two years? Um, it's still a bit of an uphill slog trying to get people to come in and uh, fly with us every year. But it's, it's, we, really, we really focus on the safety issue. Um, and with the flight profile, what the CFIs are looking for, obviously, just the same thing as, as they're looking for in the flight review is, do you have any bad habits? Are there things that you need to work on? Uh, you know, did your skill set get a little bit, uh, little bit rusty? So I think that's pretty much uh, what I have to say. You need to add anything? Yeah, if I, if I might uh, add a little bit um, for the ground school portion this year, in addition to your presentation, Turbo, um, we had uh, one of our club members, a CFI, and also a, a captain at Horizon uh, Air. Is that guy related, maybe? <laughs> yeah, actually, it's my son. <laughs> he gave a, uh, a great um, review on the FARs, Part 91 specifically, which is required by FAA for the, uh, for the flight review under the FAA guidelines. And so he's, he spent the evening... Uh, reviewing and, and uh, providing questions and, and answers of the group. Uh, it's a real good uh, group participation uh, review of the FARs. And then the next week, we had a gentleman who spent his career as a NASA safety analyst and also worked uh, for the Navy at the Top Gun School as a safety analyst. And he gave a, a wonderful presentation on human factors um, safety-related and, and aircraft design uh, issues. Uh, so those are kind of the subjects that this year's ground school covered. And then on um, for the flying, uh, one of the perks of the club is the CFI services uh, provided by our club members who are CFIs, it's offered free of charge. And so that, that um, helps with the expense of uh, the annual uh, review that we provide, that we do here. And uh, it's another incentive. And, and we think it's, it's extremely important 
that uh, the pilots maintain a, a safety focus and do keep their skill sets uh, sharp. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. You know, some, some people do safety because they have to, and some people do safety because they want to. And, and my impression from the, the little bit of discussion we had after my talk was your, your group is a group that does safety because they want to. Yes. And yet we find that pilots that do safety because they want to are the guys that you're not going to read stories about, about put, putting a, uh, you know, having a, having incident of some sort. The people that, uh, at least in, in my experience, the people that resist this kind of recurrent training are the ones that are more than likely going to have an issue at some point in their flying career. Right. So in the room the night that I spoke, uh, it's a little hard to see on the Zoom call, but it looked like not only did you have people who fly airplanes, but you have people who ride with the people who fly the airplanes in the room there. So talk a little bit about like who, who shows up at these events and why it's not just the pilots. Well, the, uh, the members, of course, generally show up. It's, uh, we have about 140 members, and generally each Thursday we'll have around 30 members come. And then, of course, at the flight profile, we had a, an increased uh, amount of membership show up. But, but also occasionally we'll have guests, you know, prospective members, uh, and also um, our wives uh, will come occasionally. And, and that might be who you saw that evening uh, was uh, several of us had brought our wives along also. And uh, they came for the dinner and, and just for the talk and such. Right. And, you know, I'm always interested. I see a lot of those of us who are in the aviation profession uh, have to do things like this in order to stay at the top of our game. But, you know, those 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 wives didn't have to come. Yeah, you entice them with a, a dinner and a, and a night out, maybe. But what are their thoughts on do you think on the process? Are, are they happy to see that it's occurring, that you're taking this sort of level of interest in perfecting the art of piloting, so to speak? I think they, they have a direct interest because they, they ride with us uh, so often. And I think they, they like to see that we're focusing on these kinds of things and keeping our skill sets up uh, so that it, it uh, correlates directly to their safety when they're in the seat beside us uh, riding around. Particularly those... Um, I call them the informed better half. They fully understand that they're safe, even though they trust us. You know, you, you get that. You get that. Yeah, I trust you, Ben. <laughs> uh, I trust you, but what have you done lately uh, to make sure that you're going to stay a, a, a safe pilot? There seem to be two schools of thought on that. Uh, I know that uh, some of our better halves, and we do have female pilots that have Husbands that are, uh, you know, they are not uh, not pilots. Seems to be two schools of thought. One is that you do what you do, you do the airplane thing, and I'm fine with that. The other one is I'm looking over your shoulder, and I have some idea what you're doing. And I know uh, my better half occasionally will say, "Hey, you know, you said you were going to fly at 6,000 feet, and you're at 6,400 feet. What's going on?" <laughs> so, yeah, the ones the ones that that understand a little bit about flying airplanes uh, are pretty interested in this kind of stuff for sure. Right. 
So you mentioned that, um, you know, I want to ask sort of a question of like, what are the biggest risks you all see in in the kind of aviation you do and the kind of stuff that your membership deals with when they get in their airplanes? And you mentioned one stand of, you know, proficiency that you can potentially uh, go long periods of time between flights. Are are there other uh, risks that you think that you'd say are the, the things that if you had to make a top three list kind of deal uh, what would be some of those risks that you would say that the folks in your aviation association deal with? Like I say, number one is is not flying for a long time, and that quite often, if you're a, a non-instrument rated pilot in the Pacific Northwest, you quite often get grounded for a long period of time. A second thing that I would say is is again in the Pacific Northwest, the weather is, although it's a bluebird today supposed to rain tomorrow all day long. So there's always a question of weather. We live in the Willamette Valley. Uh, Willamette Valley is, what, 200 miles long? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we've got mountains on both the east and the west. And it's really common around here to have air mats. It says, you know, mountain obscuration. That's almost a daily occurrence, even quite often even in the summertime. So... It's an aeronautical decision-making issue of what are my uh, personal minimums and what's the weather doing and how well do I understand what the weather's doing? Uh, is it going to change? You know, I think every place in the world has that saying about, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait a few minutes, it'll change. That really, seem, that really seems to be very true in this neck of the woods. Um, Steve was telling me about flying his airplane to work today, and it was a bit of a challenge for him because of the weather. <clears throat> what we say the third thing would be? Um, what comes to my mind is uh, a pretty large percentage of our membership is instrument rated, mm-hmm. and maintaining, as you know, Turbo, maintaining the uh, instrument scan, the instrument uh, skills, it, it, they're very perishable, and you got to continually use them, otherwise you tend to lose those skills. And then also understanding the limitations, even though you're instrument rated, your airplane is qualified for instrument flight, knowing the specific limitations of your specific airplane. You know, are you okay to go into icing conditions, you know, or um, is your airplane just good for uh, getting up through a uh, thin layer and and getting back down through a thin, thin layer? Those kinds of things, and then and then uh, as Stan touched upon the aeronautical decision making, making sure that you get don't get sucked into continued VFR into IFR conditions, especially in mountainous terrain um, around here. That, that kind of all all makes sense. So thanks for, for sharing that. So I, I again I want to thank both of you for taking time out today. This has been some great information. And like I do with everybody who I interview, I always give my interviewees the opportunity to to pass on any pearls of wisdom, any final thoughts to our audience. So, uh, Steve, let's start with you. If if you could take a minute or two to to share something that you would like uh, the listeners to of our podcast to know. I, I would say know and understand your personal limitations and uh, and have um, – hard limits that you refuse to cross. Okay, and Stan, how about you? You know, I've been thinking quite a bit just recently, being a CFI and running into various issues uh, as you're training people, trying to get people to understand aeronautical decision-making. And one of the answers 
that I've come up with that I consider to be the best answer if you have a question as to your aeronautical decision making is no. If you have questions about making a flight, you're probably your best answer would be no, I'm not going to make this flight. Great. Once again, gentlemen, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks, Terving. Thank you. Now, I myself have never done any civilian flying, but if I did, I would hope to be able to find a group like the Columbia Aviation Association. And that'll wrap us up for this month. So do you have a unique story about an interesting approach to flight safety? If you do, share it with us, and maybe I can highlight it in a future episode. Until next month, be safe, be smart, and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time2climb.com. the number two, climb.com.